Hello and welcome to Stubbornly Optimistic, the return after our little hiatus and absence from the airwaves and da internets. I am back. I've been really busy doing a different project, a really fun project and a really, really good one that I hope I can tell you guys about in a future episode very soon. Um, but I'm really, really excited with that. Now, there is an outcome of that work that I've been doing, which has generated today's podcast for you guys. And it is a question. It is a question that's been floating in my head for the last two to three weeks. And I thought I would write on it, consider it, and hey, let's do a podcast on it. And that question is, what does it mean to be educated? did I end up coming across this question? I was on Twitter and I came across a tweet by Nigel Warburton. We linked a video of Noam Chomsky who is answering this very question and also my own research had led me to a video by an academic who I disagree with. This particular academic is applying her expertise and knowledge to an area and is coming up with conclusions as a result of her research. Those outcomes of her research, however, are ones that I disagree with. And is it that I disagree with her conclusions or do I disagree with the framework in which she places them? And this is a, an interesting conundrum. So it gave me a few things to work on, both in terms of my own response to her work um, my own critical review of my response and what is this thing called education and why is it so important because quite logically people were suggesting that I can't possibly be right when someone who has a genuine PhD is wrong you know or why would I call it why would I question ah. Here's an interesting one. Why would I, a lowly BSc and postgrad um, student, 
quali- question someone who holds a PhD. You know, there's this authoritarian view of education was, was something that really, really interested me. So let's unpick this. Look what's happened to education in this country. This is a question from a religious studies paper. Which do you prefer, atom bombs or charity? (laughs) Maths is becoming politicised. If it costs five billion pounds a year to maintain Britain's nuclear defences and 75 pounds a year to feed a starving African child, how many African children could be saved from starvation if the Ministry of Defence abandoned nuclear (laughs) weapons? That's easy, none. They'd spend it all on conventional weapons. <laughs> In any case, it's just a sum. Five billion divided by 75. But the children aren't learning how to do the sums. No, indeed, but the local education authorities might argue that they don't need to. They all have pocket calculators. But they all need to know how it's done. Look, we were all taught basic arithmetic, weren't we? Were we? What's 3,947 divided by 73? Uh, oh, I'd need a pencil and paper to do that. No, never mind that. (laughs) I could do it when I left school. But now you'd use a calculator. That's not the point. I mean, look at Latin. Hardly anybody knows that nowadays. Tempera mutanta no sed mutamere nilis. (laughs) Times change and we change with the times. Not precisely. Si tecuises, philosophus mensises. What does that mean? If you'd kept your mouth shut, we might have thought you were clever. (laughs) Oh, not you, Prime Minister. No, that's the translation. Uh, No one would ever have thought Sir Humphrey was saying that about you. Go away, Bernard, please. (laughs) Okay, let's jump into this straight away. Education is that formalised thing. That formalised thing that we do at schools, colleges, universities and other institutes of learning. But what does it mean to be educated? And related question, what does it mean to be seen as educated? Now, in unpicking this, it gets pretty complicated because one might say, for example, that someone who is educated knows a lot of stuff. But then is knowing education because You can know a lot of things, but not necessarily be educated. And I think context is really, really important here because it's what are we educated about? Let's look at the qualification argument. Someone is educated if they have qualifications. For example, a degree, a postgrad, or even a doctorate. It's difficult to say categorically, in my view, that education can be boiled down to having qualifications. Because what does the qualification prove that that person has done? Does it prove they have knowledge or does it prove that they have proven something in the past? You can liken this, in a sense, to an MOT. An MOT on a car is a piece of paper whereby someone's inspected it. The car has, if you like, a Saturn exam and has been found to pass the exam. The car itself, at the point after it passes the exam, may not pass an MOT in the next subsequent days. Things can change. 
an exam or a qualification can be likened to this in that a person that holds a qualification after a few years that qualification doesn't really say as much about the person as it did at the point where they achieved it. Um, as an example of this would be my first degree, for example, where when I recently spoke to the university and I wanted to uh, find out what I could do with that, that body of work, because it's 20 years old, none of those units are actually current. And as a result, you know, they can't really change anything about my degree. I couldn't go back and top it up, that kind of thing, because it's not current. And this is where Okay, you might say I could be classed as educated because I have a degree, but the qualification doesn't mean as much as it gets older. So why do I still get to be put in that educated box? To explain this, we need to look at knowledge. And there is a great philosopher, Oliver Thorne, who is on YouTube, his channel, Philosophy Tube, is brilliant. I thoroughly um, recommend that you go and check it out. This particular bit of knowledge, Oliver Thorne does a nice little succinct video that just breaks it down. And in, in a sense, there are two types of knowledge. There is knowledge that and knowledge how. So I might have knowledge that the grass is green because that's a perceived bit of knowledge and it looks green to me. Someone else might have knowledge that the grass is not quite green, or that they might know it's green, but their perception is different. Knowledge that has some components. There are three components to it. That in order to know something, it must be true. And also that there must be a reason that you believe it to be true. A justification. And as a result of those two, you believe it to be true. So, a piece of knowledge. Like I said, the grass is green. I have evidence of my own eyes. I'm perceiving it as green. Therefore, it's a justified true belief. And this justified true belief is defined as the component parts of knowledge that... Now there is a slight wrinkle to this called the Gettier problem, but I'll leave that alone for now because there's another podcast coming soon. So knowledge that is objective viewpoint knowledge, but also perceived through a subjective kind of window. Knowledge how is, for example, how to ride a bike. So I know that I can ride a bike, I can drive a car, I can write a blog, record this podcast. So it's a process knowledge. And what does education do with these two types of knowledge? Well, the, the knowledge that can be likened to the pouring into a vessel because, you know, two times two is four and your times tables all the way up to 12 times table. We kind of learn parrot fashion. That's knowledge that, and we have knowledge that the world is round, for example. The knowledge how is valuable, 
but it becomes more evident how much value society places on it later in life because there are things like graduate positions within the workplace. Many of those, particularly retail, for example, they won't be bothered too much about what you're graduating in, the subject-specific knowledge. They're more interested in the fact that you are a graduate. And what does that say about a person? That says that they have acquired knowledge how, i.e. how to apply themselves, how to research stuff, how to source information that they don't have, acquire more knowledge that, if you like, and that knowledge how, that process knowledge, is valuable to society in and of its own right. And arguably, what qualifications are, is evidence that you have process knowledge because you've learned to apply a process to yourself, to your own learning, to achieve a certain outcome. So that kind of covers the qualification as education idea, that the qualifications themselves don't necessarily explain what it means to be educated. In a sense, one has to be educated to get the qualifications, so it's a circular argument. So what about viewing someone as educated because they're right. What does happen quite often is that because of the value that society places on the knowledge how and the qualifications that someone achieves as a result of their proven application of that, they are granted some level of authority. And the assumption, therefore, is that they are going to be right because they are potentially the sort of person that's going to have the best evidence. Now, I talk about this a little bit later on, but does that necessarily infer that someone who is qualified is going to be correct? And can we say that being correct is a sign of being educated? He did my words not, did you? Pass on what you have learned. Strength, mastery, hmm. but weakness folly failure also yes failure most of all the greatest teacher failure is i think i've talked about making mistakes before in experiential learning and finding the error whether it be a mistake or whether it be a hypothesis that's been tested and been proven wrong and how we deal with that outcome is evidence of an educated mindset. So what does it mean to be educated? I think it correlates to an idea that one is always curious. Always curious, always questioning, and never suggesting that things are completely known or completely understood. Being educated requires us to ask questions. And the more educated we are, the better those questions get. But sometimes we get the wrong 
question or the wrong framing. If you think of this in terms of scientific inquiry, science progresses as much on disproven theory as proven theory, hypothesis and ideas. So I believe it's difficult to say that being correct is a sign of education or being educated. What does sometimes happen, though, is that people assume that you are going to be correct, that you are probably more likely to be correct because you are educated. And that leads to interesting interplays when people aren't correct, but they are vested in the systems that have given them the qualifications and the authority, the platform, if you will, to talk about their ideas. So there's something else at play here, and it's quite interesting to pick at it. What I object to is you automatically treat me like an inferior. Well, I am king. Oh, king, eh? Very nice. And how do you get that, eh? By exploiting the workers, by hanging on to outdated imperialist dogma which perpetuates the economic and social differences in our society. If there's ever going to be any progress... Dennis, there's got... some lovely filth down here! Oh! How'd you do? How'd you do, good lady? I'm Arthur, King of the Britons. Whose castle is that? King of the who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king. I didn't know we had a king. I thought we were an autonomous collective. Now, in order to do the next bit, which... which illustrates that being wrong isn't bad in terms of academic stuff and in terms of being quote-unquote educated I need to explain a little bit about who it is that I disagree with and why. The lady in question is a lady called Dr Deborah So and she suggests that there is a genetic basis for sex that genetic basis is binary, and that gender is linked to that genetic basis. Now, points that I agree with. I believe that there is a genetic basis for sex. However, I don't agree that it's binary. And I also agree that there is a causal link, a genetic basis for gender. But similarly, I do not agree that that necessarily means that gender has to be binary, because... The underlying premise of sex being binary is a false one. Now, I don't want to turn this podcast about education and knowledge into one about gender. But very briefly, what I believe Dr. So is doing is taking an inductive argument and presenting it as a deductive argument. What do I mean by those types of reasoning? Well, reasoning towards a conclusion, you have inductive, you have deductive, and you have abductive reasoning types. Deductive reasoning is a sort of reasoning that you might see in detective novels and things like that, where someone deduces an outcome or an occurrence from a direct observation. Inductive reasoning and abductive reasoning are a little more, I don't want to say woolly, but they are a little more forgiving in terms of they leave room for interpretation. Inductive reasoning is where you take 
a set of observations and you infer a probable outcome. It is, in a sense, probability. I've written about it in the blog. It's the apple tree phenomenon. If you simplify it and say, well, someone sees an apple tree and they suggest that all trees grow apples. They've never seen any other type of tree. They're justified in their belief. That actually seems okay until they come across an orange tree and it falls apart. The existence of any other tree that isn't an apple tree disproves the inductive reasoning conclusion that all trees grow apples. You can see where I'm going with this because some people might suggest that the orange tree wasn't really a tree, that it's just a bush and it looks like a tree but it's not really a tree and they will hold on to the inductive reasoning of the apple tree or, in this case, the binary gender. The deductive argument is not disproven, however, because a deductive argument would be apples grow on trees. And because we're not changing the definition of tree and we're not changing the definition of apple, the deductive argument is not disproven by the presence of an orange tree. But the inductive one would be. And that's the crux of it. So you can see that it's an extrapolation of known knowledge or concepts that are thought to be known, thought of as known, um, into a further argument. Where Dr. So falls down on this is in her categorization of sex as binary, because her, her argument is inductive. Let me explain that one. If you have a binary category of sex, then you can only have male and female. Any other expression of phenomena that doesn't fit those two categories will make the inductive argument fail on sex, genetics, etc. And we know that there are intersex people. Okay, they are rare, but they exist. And that is the point. They exist. And therefore, the inductive reasoning argument as to a binary nature of sex, the genetic coding of humans, and how a sexed human is produced, is proven false. Now, why would Dr. So do this? Why would she present the binary model as a deductive reasoned argument? Because in doing so, it can suggest that any other manifestation of the human condition other than the ones that she specifically describes as being biologically determined are not valid. It's a variation on natural law, if you will. And it also gives rise to a different categorization when we look at gender as a social construct because there's another argument here that Dr. So suggests. Here's where it gets interesting because Dr. So bases one of her arguments off the idea that gender cannot be a social construct because if it was then orientation would be a choice. Leaving aside whether or not that's a non sequitur, 
the fact that Dr. So doesn't want people to look at gender as a social construct is interesting. In my view, it's a social construct derived from biological factors, but in looking at gender as a sociological construct and a socio-political phenomena, one starts to see other elements of the distinctions between man and woman and how those distinctions are used and framed within society to create different power structures. That's where it's correlating here with my arguments on authority. The authority that is invested in someone because they are qualified and have this knowledge how and inferred knowledge that is a hierarchical structure that is the socio-political outcomes and viewpoint of an academic institution. That's why people were saying to me that as a BSc and, and postgrad student, I couldn't disagree with someone who had a PhD. The inference being she knows more than I do. But it was a hierarchical view of the social interactions between people who have different levels of qualified knowledge. The argument, if you like, of perceived wisdom. Now, we know that perceived wisdom is a changeable beast. And it's a movable feast as well, because perceived wisdom back in the day, we had such things in medicine as bloodletting um, and electric shock therapy, conversion therapies for homosexuality, etc. Um, all manner of things that were deemed to be perceived wisdom at that time based on the knowledge we had. But now looking back, we would hesitate to say that they were justified true beliefs and therefore wouldn't really classify them as knowledge anymore. And medicine, like anything else, runs off evidence. So this is why there's, a, there's an interesting little sideline here with the fact that I disagree with someone who is arguably more qualified and potentially more knowledgeable than I in a certain area, but it's because her viewpoint of her expertise is based in a power structure that she refuses to acknowledge. It's a blind spot. I agree wholeheartedly there are genetic reasons and anthropological reasons why we are, as a species, the way we are. We are at the, at the core of everything. Humans are just hairless apes. And if you keep that in mind and almost visualize any study of humans as if we were a tribe, tribe of baboons being looked at by somebody else, some other entity, because that's kind of what we do to other animals, you can see that most, if not all, of what we do it's probably got its main has probably got its main causality in genetics, evolutionary mechanisms, etc. Um, so that's why I disagree with with Doctor So. Although, having done all this kind of thinking stuff around knowledge, what it means to be educated, how one acquires one's qualifications, um, and and becomes that academic, if you like. I don't really have a problem with her knowledge base and with her propositions 
because I'm viewing them not as a known quantity, but as stepping stones to achieving greater knowledge of the issues with which we are concerned. And I think in that sense, people can welcome the knowledge that they disagree with or the, from the point of view of its uh, proponents, perceived knowledge. Yeah, they may disagree whether it is knowledge or not. And that's where, in a scientific sense, you start to get into evidence wars. Um, and my evidence is better than your evidence sort of stuff. Okay then, so we've looked at three areas. We've looked at qualification, correctness, and we've looked at the idea of approach, reasoning. There's three particular areas that one has to dig into in order to try and answer this question of what it means to be educated. And I hope it's been kind of interesting. Um, there is a crack at a definition on my blog. Um, have a look there. There's a link to the Noam Chomsky um, video is there as well. And I'll also put links in to the original articles. There's about three that I wrote with regard to Deborah So's original stuff. So it's been an interesting little thought path, this, because everything that we do informs us in life, one way or the other. And for all I wholeheartedly disagree with Dr. So, and also a few other individuals, Dr. Jordan Peterson and a few others, um, the process of disagreeing with them and unpicking why I disagreeing with them and being very specific helps me to grow so fair play and I think to finish this what I would say is if you're going to try and do the academic thing if you're going to try and do research if you're going to do philosophical inquiry debate you have to approach arguments in a spirit of charity Dr. Coravino has suggested that one of the best approaches here is to try and construct the best version of your opponent's argument so that you can critique it. Um, because if you do that, if you try and make their argument the strongest possible it can be before trying to argue against it, then both of you are going to get to the truth a damn sight quicker. Right, onward to the next podcast. Like I said, the little wrinkle in knowledge that, which is the Gettier problem, I'll be taking a quick look at that next episode. So that's it for our reintroduction to podcasting from Stubbornly Optimistic, a little, a little bit of a a technical one. I want to do more of these philosophical podcasts um, as we go forward. I'll just drop them in interspersed with other stuff. Hopefully they'll be interesting and like I always say, if you change the way you look at things, guess what? The things you look at will change. I think that one is very pertinent for this particular episode. <laughs> Hi guys, just at the end of this show, I thought I would let you know about the updated social media links. Obviously, we now have the Optimisticality Works website. You can find that at www.optimisticality.works. And there you can find blogs that go along with the podcast, 
Also, you can find me on Twitter if you search at acorn underscore two underscore oak. That is Optimisticality's Twitter feed. And the hashtag stubbornly optimistic. Stubbornly optimistic is also the name of the Facebook group that goes along with these podcasts. And finally, we have Optimisticality Works Facebook page, which does what it says on the tin. It's a Facebook page where I share everything else as well. If you want to get in contact with me directly, suggestions for the show or questions for any of the guests, etc., then you can email me at sarah at stubbornlyoptimistic.me. So send your thoughts in, send any comments in, and let's see what we can do with the conversation, people. Bye for now. Education in this country is a disaster. We're supposed to be preparing children for a working life. Three quarters of the time, they're bored stiff. Well, I should have thought that being bored stiff for three quarters of the time was an excellent preparation for working life. <laughs> any more questions you want to ask? He wants us to get in car. And go where? 50 years from now, when you're looking back at your life, don't you want to be able to say you had the guts to get in the car? We have what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters.